0: Amen. Can we put our hands together and thank God for God's faithfulness, for the same God who has been faithful in Marin's life, is the same God who is faithful in in your life, too. It's great to see all of you who are here in person, and thank you to all of you who are joining us online. Uh, Thank you for being a part of this uh, worship experience this morning. Um, We come together. We're not just bodies in this worship experience. We're hearts and souls that are reaching for God. We're we don't come together as a church to remind God who the church is. We come together to remind ourselves who God is. We don't come together to, uh, that because this is the only place we can meet with God. It's because here is where we are equipped to meet God everywhere else happy July 4th weekend. How many of your pets are ready just to run away, to get away, like to never come home or experience July 4th again, right? Like I've been putting NyQuil and little gummy melatonins in my dog's food for a day. I'm just joking. Please do not turn me in, all right? But uh, happy July 4th, a, a, a day that only every six to seven years is it, happened on a Sunday, but a time when we reflect back and we celebrate and we remember stories and we look back, and we even critique And we think of the challenges we have overcome and the challenges that we still have to overcome. But we look back because there is a future to live into, not because we need to go back and try to live in the past. So I hope today fills us with some form of gratitude for the freedom that we do have and that we get to live into in this country. Uh, It's a sermon series right now I've called Storylines. And what I've done the last few weeks is I've just looked at some of these stories in the Old Testament where you have people who set up altars as a memorial to remember what God had done. So we've looked at stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and this morning I want to be in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. And I can honestly say that every single Saturday, I can't wait to preach on a Sunday. All of them. Yet there are some days I get more excited about others because of what a message has either done for me or the potential I think it has to do something for you. So part of what I want to talk about today are obstacles in our lives because all of us have them. Whether they're big or small, there are obstacles that need to be overcome. There are challenges in front of us, and I think you know what some of those are. And there's a way to freedom that God is leading us into or leading us toward. And I hope that God helps lead you into some of those places today. So at the end of this message, we're going to enter into communion with that in mind. What are the obstacles we need to overcome? And how does a story that we have been called into through Jesus help us to live as more than conquerors? We are a church of people who have overcome. This church is full of overcomers. We have people who have overcome addictions and relational dysfunction. We have people who have overcome uh, loneliness and uh, depression. We have people who have overcome a lot of different things. We're a church of overcomers. There are people in this church who have lost loved ones in service to this country, and there are people in this church who have lost loved ones by uh, the hands of the KKK. We're a church of overcomers. We have overcome a lot of things, and we have a lot of overcoming still to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking us through this storyline series. I can't remember which sermon it was in, but we had a guest who visited us that day. He sat on the fourth or fifth row, lives in the Edgewater Apartments right next to our church. And after church, he came up to me and he said, Man, that, the idea you're talking about in this sermon series of how we look back and we reflect on the past and we move into the future. This whole idea of celebrating something that has happened and then living into the future. I, I had that tattooed on my forearm. And it's a symbol, and he said it's a symbol of, this is Sankofa. Sankofa. This is it. And I, I know I had heard of this term before, but I didn't really know what it was, so I had him write it out for me because I, I wanted to make sure I was researching the right thing. And sure enough, I pulled this up, and maybe you've seen it before, but this originated in West Africa. West Africa, Ghana, this is probably the region of Africa, or this is the region of Africa where more Africans were sold into slavery hundreds of years ago than anywhere else. And this is where this symbol of Sankofa was developed. Now I reached out. Casey and I support a couple of mission efforts in Ghana. Some of you may know Courtney Garland, who at one time was a youth minister at White Station here in Memphis, and now she's been in Garland. Uh, she's been in uh, Ghana for a number of years, and I reached out to her because I I didn't want to present you with some symbol that's like idol worship or something like that. And she started sharing this idea because. It was kind of foreign to her, but she started sharing it with some of the mothers that she ministers to, and they were affirming this symbol. Yeah, that is something that we teach our children. And the whole idea of Sankofa is that there are times where you need to reach into the past to move into the future. So Sankofa, if you just break it down, if you look at this next image, is return, go, and look, seek, and take. Like The idea is there are times where you need to go to the past, and take hold of it. You need to go to the past and run to it, cling to it. This isn't talking about how you need to go try to relive the past or go be chained by the past again, but there are nuggets of wisdom in the past that you need to be able to take hold of antiques to the next generation. A couple of definitions that you may find are like this, go back to the past and bring forward that which is useful or it is not wrong to go back for that which you have forgotten. That's pretty good, right? Like the whole idea of Sankofa, it's an image of a bird that is moving forward. There are some images of Sankofa where there are actually wings so that the bird is flying forward in a direction, but the beak is turned around taking hold of an egg, which symbolizes two different things. One is there are gems in the past that you cannot forget. We can't afford to forget them. We can't become too arrogant to want to take hold of them. And the second symbol is that there are nuggets in the past that we need to make sure we take hold of and give to the generations to come in the future. Because they need some of these nuggets that have formed and shaped people. So the whole idea of St. Kofa is we are a people that are moving forward, but there are things in the past that we cannot forget. It fits on a July 4th day, right? This fits on what a Sunday morning is all about, that there are times, even in communion, where we are looking back and we're reading a Bible that was written thousands of years ago, but our faces are toward the hope of God that is moving us into the future. So in Joshua chapter 4, here's what you read. In Joshua 4, verse 20 through uh, 23, it says this, And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that he had taken out of the Jordan, And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? I love that question. What do these stones mean? You tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. Because God repeats so many of his actions throughout the Bible. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we had crossed over. So in Joshua three and four, you have 12 stones that are set up. Now we don't know exactly what these are like. We know in the Holy land, there are these altars and stones that were built and, and they're still all over the place. Some of them, you don't know why they were there. You just know they were set up for a reason. Maybe it was something like this right here. I mean, 12 like really nice shaped pancakes that just added up, right? I was joking around with early service. I mean, I'm sure then there are probably some of, they are much like some of you that you want things like set up in order and you notice if one of those stones were off a little bit, you'd want to straighten it up. There's a good chance it was probably more like this, like an image like this, just 12 stones just put in the middle of either a field or up on a mountain, but something like this where you look at that and you you have a pretty good idea, like nature didn't just do that or creation didn't do it, like they were put there for a reason. And then in the future when families pass by it, you hope that children ask, okay, here, here's one of these spots, mom and dad, like what is this here for? And then there's a story to tell. Or maybe it was like this, where it wasn't just out in the middle of anywhere. It was kind of up on a hill where you could see it from miles away. We just know in Joshua chapter 4, it's a pretty big deal that they need to take 12 stones and you stack them up. And don't just stack them up. This is something that when your kids ask years from now, what are these here for? What do these mean to you? You have a story to tell. Now in Joshua 3 and 4, this is a pretty significant moment for the people of God. Where all the way from the beginning of the book of Exodus, you have people who have been slaves for over 400 years, who were then set free by God. They go through the Red Sea, and then on the other side of the Red Sea, they find themselves in the wilderness for 40 years, where everyone but one or two died. So the people now who come to the Jordan River... Right? They, were born, uh, they were born in the wilderness or desert. They had experienced a lot of grief. A lot of people hadn't made it all the way here. And here they are, and they can see the promised land on the other side of the Jordan River. They had come this far in some ways. This had been, a, this had been like a 450-year journey. And now 40 years, they come to a place, and now they're ready to get it. They're ready to reach for it. Freedom is within their sight, but there's one more obstacle to overcome. It's no easy thing to cross the Jordan River. Like imagine today if you're moving from Tennessee to Arkansas hundreds of years ago and there's no bridge and there's no boat. What are you going to do? And they come to the Jordan River, tens of thousands of them. And here's how the story goes. Joshua chapter 3 in verse 1, it says this. Early in the morning... Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out. Anything you see in bold italics, underline. Will you say this with me? Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan. If you underline or make notes in your Bible, I want you to highlight that. I'm going to come back to it here in just a moment. But they went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Here's verse 2 and 3. After three days, the officers, the leaders, went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. Say this with me. When you see... The ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. And the Levitical priests carrying it say it with me, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. I want you to look at this slide right now. For those of you in, in your home or wherever you're, you may be tuning in with us, I want you to see this. Because some of you have faced obstacles and challenges before and you started to move at a pace, that wasn't the pace of God. And they have, a, they have a Jordan River to cross. There's an obstacle in front of them. And what they are told by God, what the, God tells the leaders to communicate to the people is, I know freedom is within reach. And we have been on a 40-year journey to get to this point right here. And it's right there in front of you. And I know you're eager to go take it and to reach for it, but you don't move until God moves. What you're told in this verse, what God tells them is when the ark moves, which symbolize the presence of God, when that moves, that's when you can move. Have you ever tried to get ahead of the pace of God when it comes to your happiness or success in life or something in life like you're, you're just moving at a pace that isn't the pace of God because you want God to move at your pace? And here's God who says, hey, when the ark moves, You move. In verse 5, Joshua told the people, sanctify yourselves, or some of your versions, it's or consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is what God told the people to do before God delivered them out of Egypt. This is what God told the people to do before God gave them the Ten Commandments on the mountain, As you prepare because there's an encounter coming. Now, there are times when God is going to encounter people without people being prepared for it, without them cleansing themselves, purifying themselves, preparing their minds or preparing their hearts because that's what our God does sometimes. But there are a lot of times where God is waiting for us to prepare our minds and our hearts to open up some space so that God can encounter us. And this is one of those places where God says, all the people need to prepare your heart and mind because something's about to happen and I don't want you to miss it. In verse 8 it says this, Tell the priests... carry the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters go and stand still in the river. Some of your versions just have go to the river or go just uh, stand in it. It is stand still in the river and this is where I want to pause for a moment and talk about the Jordan River because there were some times of the year it's almost impossible to stand still in the Jordan River. You ever tried to stand still in the ocean when waves are coming in high waves Like you try to dig your feet in real good, right? And stand still to where you don't move. Because when they hear God say, I need you to go into the Jordan. There are people who had come to the Jordan and they're looking at the Jordan. For most of the people of God, it's not how excited they are. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. There's another obstacle we have to cross. I want you to look at this map. Let me just try to point out a few things to you. And I tried to find the simplest map I could to do this. So above the Sea of Galilee, which is that body of water you see at the very top of this map, above that is Mount Horeb. Shows up a few times in the Bible. Significant events happen on Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is about 25 miles above the Sea of Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 65 miles north of the Dead Sea. Now, up there around Mount Horeb, just north of the Sea of Galilee, it is around uh, 9,000 feet above sea level. When you get down to the Dead Sea, it's 1,500 feet below sea level. So you're talking about two miles, over 10,000 feet between just above the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. So when we traveled uh, to the Holy Lands, what they do to take you from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea is you don't get in the vehicle. They just strap you up to a zip line, and pat you on the back and wish you luck. You just go. It's two miles up there. You just fly down like that, right? Which now some of you are like, I kind of wanted to go to the Holy Lands, but now I never want to go. You should have seen Casey and Kathy McCoy and Tammy Hacker uh, on a zip line flying down. All right. Casey, you thought that was funny, right? You're, you visualize yourself now on a zip line flying down, right? All that to say, when you think about the Jordan River, I don't want you to think Mississippi River, that it's super wide because it wasn't. But it was, especially at that time, one of the fastest flowing rivers in all of this part of the world. So in chapter 3, verse 15, what you see in this next verse is it's at flood stage. This isn't just any time of the year. This is the fastest-flowing river in that part of the world, and it's at flood stage. So now the people of God have come all the way to the river. The promised land is on the other side, and now how, how in the world are they going to get across? And here's what you read in chapter 3, verse 11. It says this. Here's what God tells them. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. There's so much I love about that image. Because God isn't going to call people to step into raging waters that God isn't willing to step into. Before God tells them to step into the waters, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go into the water. This is God's way of saying, I lead the way. I'm going to step in. I'm not going to pat you on the back and wish you luck as you travel in and through your obstacles and challenges in life. God is going ahead of you through the obstacles and challenges in life. So even as you reflect back on your past and forms of grief or depression or anxiety or even abuse, God is not the one who orchestrates all form of pain or suffering or abuse, but God is not the one who has patted you on the back wishing you luck through life or the one who is only beside you as you go through life. God goes before you. You have a cross to bear in life and as you bear your cross or crosses, we are reminded, on, especially on Sundays when we come together, that we serve one who is He bore the ultimate cross. He went in front of us. He went before us. And in verse 13 and 15, you see what God, did, what God did and the promises God made. In verse 13, God says, As soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off, and they will stand up in a heap. Yet as soon as, in verse 15, Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touch the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. What God does to lead his people through the Jordan River is the same thing God did to lead the people through the Red Sea. Forty years apart, the deliverance of God, stories that never need to be forgotten. Now, can you go back to that map just for a moment? Because I want you to visualize the people of God who had been in the wilderness, out in the desert for over 40 years. They had traveled south, like around the Dead Sea, and they came out right where it says Bethany beyond the Jordan, somewhere on the right of the Jordan River. Somewhere around there is where the people of God crossed through the Jordan River. And right next to Jericho is Gilgal. And that is where the promised land begins. So the people of God come to the river, And when they get to the river, the people of Jericho are probably thrilled at the moment. They know that the people of God are coming. But they also know that the Jordan River provides some protection, especially in flood stage. So they have a little time to develop their plan. The people of God come to the Jordan River, and they can see the Promised Land in front of them, but now there's an obstacle. What are they going to do? Are they going to travel south, all the way around the Dead Sea to get to the Promised Land, or all the way north around the Sea of Galilee to get to the Promised Land? Or somehow, they're going to need God to provide a way for them to get through the Jordan River. There are a lot of times in life we come up we're faced with our own obstacles and our challenges, and the only way to get to the other side or to get to freedom is you got to go through it. It's painful and as hard as it can be. Sometimes God doesn't just teleport us into freedom or health. Sometimes you've got to go through it. But the God who calls us to go through the obstacle or through the challenge or through the pain is the God who goes before us into it and through it. God performs a miracle. The Jordan River splits, they walk through, and now they're there, the promised land, the place of freedom. And I'm sure the people are ready to establish towns and cities and set up their homes, and they know there are people to conquer. But before they do anything else, there are a few commands that God places in front of them. And the first thing you see in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 is this. Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and you tell them to take up 12 stones From the middle of the Jordan. I want you to notice that. The command is not just any stone. You don't just take stones from the shore of the Jordan. You take stones from the middle of the Jordan. The stones that have been beaten by the floods. The stones that have been underwater for parts of the year. You take those stones. Those are going to be the stones we set up as a memorial. Not just any stone. From right where the priests are standing. And you carry them over with you. And you put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, this is verse six, what do these stones mean to you? And some of your English versions don't have that. What do they mean to you? Verse six, differently than later on in verse 20 through 24, this is a very specific question to people. Not just what does this mean, In the whole like grand scheme of things, or what does this mean to God? But what do these stones mean to you? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God did something, and people can't forget it. Henry Nouwen says this. I love this quote. Only in memory will real intimacy with God be possible. Only in memory... Will real intimacy with God be possible? So I want you to see this image behind me, real quick, and somebody shout out who is this? Rafiki. This is Rafiki. What movie is this? Lion King. Lion King. Now, the movie doesn't tell you this, but I think Rafiki is like the pastor, the minister, the clergy. He's the chaplain of the Lion King, he's offering all this wisdom. And there's this one moment when Rafiki is with Simba because Simba isn't sure what he needs to do to get to the future and if he's ready to face the past. Here's a one-minute clip. Let's check it out. What was that? (laughs) The weather. Very peculiar, very peculiar. Don't you think? Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Looks like the winds are changing. Ah, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but... Going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it, or learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm going to take your stick. No, 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 no. not your stick. Where are you going? I'm going back. George, go on. Get out of here. people of God get to the other side of the Jordan. The first thing they do is they set up 12 stones as a memorial. And it's supposed to be there for their children to ask questions and for them to have answers for years to come. This is because God did something wonderful among us. And then covenant is reestablished. And then lastly, in chapter 5, verse 10, here's what you have. Jericho and like all the people in Jericho are scared to death now because the people of God got through the Jordan River. And here's what you read. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So before there's conquering of more land, before there's battles they're going to fight, there was a Passover to participate in. Now, we don't have details of a Passover that happened between year two in the wilderness all the way to year 40. We assume that it happened in some way out in the desert. But here they are, they came into a land of freedom, and it's like God pressed on the brake and pushed pause and said, before you pick up your swords and there's land to conquer and you live into the promised land, everybody needs to pause, but before we go any further, we need to remember We need to sit and we need to take a meal, the Passover. And the Passover, if they did it the way they were instructed to do it, this wasn't a 15-minute meal, and then they go through the rest of the promised land. This was a few days of them pausing out in the middle of nowhere, spreading out their food, honoring a day God asked them to honor in the presence of the enemy. If you're in Jericho and you're one of the people who are looking out to see what the people of God are doing, they're shouting and they're like, what do you see? How close are they? And they're like, well, right now they're not picking up swords and knives. Right now they're like holding glasses of wine and they're eating lamb and it's like they're fellowshipping because they're out there, They're, they're participating in Passover. They're participating in Passover, and on one side of them is the Jordan River, which was an obstacle that they had conquered, that God had conquered. And on the other side is a land of freedom they need to live into, which is much like how we take communion every Sunday. That when we take communion on one side, there's a past behind us and ways we can acknowledge what God has brought us through. And on the other side, there's still freedom that God is asking us to live into. They participated in their meal right there in the presence of the enemy. Eating their food and drinking their wine with an obstacle right there in front of them. Being reminded of the ultimate story that was holding it all together. So what I want to ask you to do this morning is to take the bread and the cup where you are and just hold it in a hand. Don't open it yet. If you're at home or if you have the bread and the cup close to you, if you want to take that and just hold it in your hand. And what I want to ask you to do, here's what we're going to do in just a moment. I'm going to have a... A short prayer, of reflection for us. I'm going to give you about a minute of silence before we sing a song. And I want you to reflect this morning on the bread and the cup. This is the story that offers forgiveness of sins and redemption for the whole world. And I want to ask you to open up another hand and to think about obstacles and challenges that are facing you right now because when it comes to the table, this is not a meal that we take in isolation from obstacles and challenges in front of us. It's a, it's a meal that we take in the midst of them. This is the meal that reminds us we are more than conquerors, that you are made in the image of God. The greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, and we partake of this meal in the presence of the ultimate enemy reminded of who we are in God. Because past events and past circumstances can shape who you are, but they don't define who you are. God does. Let's bow our heads. After my prayer, there's going to be about a a minute of silence for you to reflect and to be reminded of how you you are more than a conqueror. God, we give you thanks today in and through Jesus who bore his own cross to bring redemption, deliverance, and salvation to this entire world. Today, God, we take of this bread and this cup, we reflect at the end of this worship service, we acknowledge there are Jordan rivers in front of us, and we acknowledge that we worship in the presence of, of you and the presence of all the hosts of heaven, but we also worship today in the presence of darkness, wanting them to know that we're, we're striving to live life in unity with Jesus, It's people who are more than conquerors. So let's take today. With that in mind, there's victory in Jesus. Let's live into our freedom this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Enjoy the bread. Enjoy the cup.